0: Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And the title of our message this evening is Jesus Alone Rescues. Jesus Alone Rescues. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of God. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. The drama of this episode is a heart-wrenching, terrifying scene of when Jesus and his disciples were in the midst of a violent windstorm in the Sea of Galilee. And it happened just 60 miles north of Jerusalem in the ancient region of Palestine in the first century. And as we're entering the the story of Jesus' ministry in Mark's gospel, we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that the kingdom of Christ has broken in. It it has broken into our dark, sin-cursed world. And Jesus inaugurates his kingdom with his words and deeds through chapters 1 to 8 performing miraculous signs and, and teaching what the kingdom looks like and what the citizens of his kingdoms look like and how he comes with such authority and power with a central purpose and mission. Jesus proclaims in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so you see, but in reality, how do you think people respond with this proclamation? How did they respond? Did they respond with full acceptance? Did they receive Jesus with open arms? Well, throughout the Mark's gospel, there are some who believe, but there are folks that struggle to believe. Others plainly uh, rejected him, and many perhaps dismayed by how Jesus brings in the kingdom. But you know, these reactions aren't just problems in the past. They're real problems people face today, isn't it? Perhaps you're here today still unsure about who Jesus is and why he came, right? You're asking, how relevant can his words and deeds mean for my life? Or how can Jesus, who claims to be the Messiah, convince me to place my entire trust in him? Or even as we'll see in our passage, the disciples ask after Jesus calms the storm, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, I hope that as we study closely the drama of the windstorm, Mark chapter 4, that we can d- discover together what really matters most in your life, right? What really is the priority of your soul right now? And and how can we allow God's story to answer our deepest longings and questions that we all face about life and death? And so, to summarize in one sentence just the core meaning of our passage this morning, it's this that since Jesus is all powerful, all powerful to save sinners, you can have absolute trust in Him. But let me repeat that. That since Jesus is all powerful to save sinners, you can have absolute trust in Him. And how can we understand that important truth? Well, there are three things you can learn from the windstorm at sea if you're taking notes. Uh, First, you must realize your doubtful fears. And, And second, you must realize your powerful God. And finally, you must realize your faithful Savior. Your doubtful fears your powerful God, and finally, your faithful Savior. And we see that truth unfold in our passage where we read that after a long day of Jesus teaching and doing ministry to very large crowds, it grew dark outside. And and he taught the whole day since daylight, and it's now evening, it's late, and you can barely see anything. And so Jesus decides, hey, you know, it's time to leave, it's time to pack up. Time to go on the other side, uh, because the whole day, you know, he's, he's been teaching. And, and we see in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34, he's been teaching the parables to a large crowd beside the Sea of Galilee. And, and it's these parables that communicate how the kingdom is like and how the kingdom is received. Like when Jesus taught the parable of the sower, right? He, he teaches that if the seed ends up sown on the good soil... Jesus says it represents those who hear the word and accept the word, and and they bear fruit. But on the other hand, the seed that fell between the rocks and thorns are like those who don't receive the word, and so as a result, they could not bear fruit. And so you see, beloved, that's what the kingdom is. God's kingdom requires that a person has to have true faith to receive his word, and bear fruit in their lives. And that's what Jesus teaches in the parable. And now in the event that the disciples were caught in a sea storm, we see a test of faith, whether the disciples have true faith, if they truly receive Christ. And so Jesus and his disciples wrap up that evening, and since they're already on the boat, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go across on the other side. And everything seems to be ordinary, right? As usual, they set sail until we read that the unexpected happens in verse 37. It says there, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And that's what happened. They suddenly find themselves in a great violent windstorm out and sea, and the waves were so chaotic that it was filling their boat. And now archaeologists have uh, excavated a first century, uh, really a fishing boat, which was most likely the boat they used. And, and the boat is about, about 27 feet long, and we're not talking about a small rowboat, but neither is it is a massively huge boat. And so you can imagine being on a 27-foot 20, fishing boat in the middle of a violent windstorm, right, surrounded by crashing waves that are hitting your boat. And and geographically, if you're at the Sea of Galilee, you'll notice steep hills on all sides of the lake, in which one scholar comments that it makes it susceptible to sudden storms, cooler air from the hills. They can rush down, and, and they can collide with warm air in the lake's basin, creating these a sudden gust of wind. And you know, most of these disciples, they were professional fishermen. I mean, they knew these waters very well and and how to troubleshoot storms. But that evening, their skills and experience were no match against this force of nature. And so it seems that they had every reason to fear for their lives, One theologian comments, saying that even a good swimmer will eventually drown if he cannot reach land. And stormy water is more threatening for both swimmers and non-swimmers. Sinking into the water is like sinking into the grave, into the underworld. The psalmist also describes the sea as a graveyard, saying, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. And so you see, it's interesting that the water in Scripture not only symbolizes life, but it also symbolizes death. And in the midst of this chaos, what is Jesus doing? Well, we read in verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And you ask, well, why was he asleep, right? First of all, Jesus, as the God-man, was exhausted, right? He was doing work all day, and, and you'd feel exhausted, and you need rest. But obviously, he was very exhausted, that not even a sea storm could, could wake him up. And, and I remember, uh, uh, and I was sharing with Marissa, my wife, uh, this morning. One time, I remember our five-year-old daughter, Sophia. She she had skipped her her nap time, and she was busy all day. And then when she slept when she slept that night, she actually had rolled out of bed, and she hit the floor. And, and we thought that she was going to wake up, but we looked over, and guess what? She was still knocked out. <laughs> she was dead tired, and. And so when the disciples, they saw that Jesus wasn't reacting, he was asleep. They thought he didn't care about them. And so they woke him up, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're about to die, that any moment now the boat will sink and we'll all go down and it's all over? Notice their accusatory tone. I mean, they, they knew enough that Jesus was qualified to address this emergency, right? They've been with him. They've seen healings, how he casted out demons, he, how he spoke with authority. But now the disciples are in grave danger against the forces of nature. Could Jesus really do something? And does he even care? And it's at this moment that the disciples' hearts were exposed. They weren't only terrified by what was going on, but they had real doubts. Is Jesus who he says he is? And why? What would cause them to doubt? Well, they still haven't fully realized during this stage of Jesus' ministry who they're dealing with. Right? It it hasn't fully sink in yet that the man who stands before them is the God-man, the Lord of the universe, that the Lord of the universe is with them in the boat. And yet they couldn't fully comprehend why he wouldn't just do something. And so as we see this, their doubtful fears reveal a fundamental human problem, isn't it? Right? Fundamental human problem, and what is that? What's the problem? Well, it's the problem of the heart. It's it's the heart that refuses to wholeheartedly trust in Jesus. And it's the same heart problem that you and I share. It's the same heart problem in the garden. When Adam and Eve doubted and believed the lie, when the serpent asked, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Because by eating the forbidden fruit, it will make you what? make you wise it will make you like God the serpent says and how did they respond well they doubted they believed the lie they did not trust in God and because they broke God's law Adam was cursed he and that Adam was cursed and plunged the rest of humanity under this curse And so as fallen creatures, the truth is our hearts are inclined to doubt God because as the prophet Jeremiah says in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The heart is sinful. And since the heart is sinful, we are inclined to look within ourselves to find ultimate hope. We look to the world for happiness. We keep on searching and searching. We shop around for this material thing there or this idea here and, or chasing this dream over there. But it never truly satisfies. It never brings peace. Not to say that it's bad, but none of these things are ultimate. And so I like what St. Augustine says, the heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee and that's why beloved we need a heart transplant we need a heart transplant and God promises his people in Ezekiel chapter 36 I will take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh God needs to renew your heart he needs to renew your mind he needs to renew your will so that you can now learn to trust in him And so, like the disciples, we need not only to trust in Jesus to deliver us from death in a sea storm or whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in, but we need to be delivered from the death of our souls. And the only way is by true faith, which looks outside yourself to whom? Not within yourself. But believing what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that saves you. Amen. And if your heart learns to trust in Christ alone, then it's evident that you have a new heart, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have a renewed hope, a new confidence in which all your guilty sins and doubts and fears can no longer rule you. Because guess what? Jesus has conquered them all. He can give you a new life, a new freedom, so that being united with him by his spirit, you can truly live. And so the question that we, we asked with the disciples, Jesus, do you care that we are dying? And the answer is yes, Jesus does care. But not only does he care for your physical life, but more importantly, he cares to save you from the wrath of God that you and I deserve and to give you spiritual life. And that's life in his son. And so, beloved, this evening, ask yourself, where have you been placing your ultimate trust? Who is Lord over your life right now? Because if you haven't found Christ, if you haven't been trusting in Christ, today is the day of salvation. It's right now. For the Lord extends his mercy and forgiveness until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And so this leads us to our second truth as this drama unfolds. And the second truth is this, that you must realize you're a powerful God. And that's Jesus, isn't it, right? The God-man. If you look at verse 39, we see that Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still, or, or quiet, be silent. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Notice the power of Jesus, right? He speaks a word, and it is done. What he commands, he completes, because not only does the word have power, but notice from whom the word came from, right? It it came from the one who is divinely powerful, and there's no other creature who can compare with him, Jesus incarnate, is in every way human like us, except without sin, because he is God. He is the God Man. He is in one essence with the Father and Holy Spirit, who has all the fullness of deity within him. Colossians two nine. And not only is he powerful, but I like as our Belgic Confession says in Article one summarizes God, the nature of God. God is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, good, and the overflowing source of all good. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is in divine essence. He is the creator, and we are the creatures. And and if you think Jesus randomly appeared in history, then you are mistaken. Because Jesus existed before the foundation of the world, together with the Father and Holy Spirit, Because at creation, Jesus was there. In the garden, Jesus was there. In the burning bush, Jesus was there. In the parting of the Red Sea, Jesus was there. When the Israelites were led in the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, guess who was there? Jesus. Jesus was there because Jesus led the way. And that's why we know Jesus was active throughout redemptive history. And and he remains active today by sustaining everything that exists. And and the fact that you woke up this morning and and you drove to church this morning and you drove back this evening and that you're able to breathe right now without even thinking is really dependent upon Jesus, right? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us, He is the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, check this out, upholds the universe by the word of his power. You hear that? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And, and, and that's why when we read the glorious creation passages, like when God said, let there be light, and out of nothing there was light, we know that Jesus spoke creation into existence and has always sustained it by his word. And yet in the fullness of time, Jesus came into our dark, sin-cursed world. Humbling himself was the word where we read in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so you see, He came with a purpose. And that purpose was to fulfill all prophecy that Jesus would come, Emmanuel, God with us, to be near us in human flesh, to speak words of life, and to be the light in the darkness that would save us from the judgment of God. But not only that, his proclamation comes with demonstration that the miraculous signs by his word, whether he heals a blind man to see, a paralytic to walk, the demons cast it out, the sea storm rebuke, what these signs communicate is that it authenticates that he is the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name, John chapter 20. And Why? because he is almighty powerful god he can do the impossible and perhaps one of the most powerful demonstrations of his word is when we hear him say your sins are forgiven amen your record is wiped clean because i alone have authority on earth to truly forgive sins and that's powerful and and that's amazing grace and his and his forgiveness it is isn't a slow process, right? The way that we may struggle to forgive others, right? He doesn't struggle with that. When he declares, I forgive you, he truly forgives you. He says the word and it's done. It's immediate. It's effective. And when he orders the wind and sea, peace, be still, and the wind sees. And there was a great calm. It was immediate. It was effective. It's like telling a noisy child, hush, be quiet, and just like that, it changed everything because Jesus is precisely who he is, the most powerful Lord of lords, King of kings, who can can change what man can never do for himself, and perhaps if you were on that boat, you'd feel a chilling calm of that power that you couldn't even Feel the air against your skin, you couldn't even see the movement in the water, not even a ripple. That a great windstorm was instantly changed to a great calm. But not everything was calm at that moment, and why? Because as we read there in verse 41, the disciples were filled with what great fear. A great fear. In other words, their fear of death in the midst of a windstorm did not die down. The wind and the sea did die down, but their fear actually shifted to a greater kind of fear because after they saw and felt the magnitude of, of what his word could do, their fear really had just escalated from here to now being extremely terrified for this was no ordinary person. Who is this that can make the wind and the sea obey? But Jesus, like a physician, knew exactly the condition of their hearts, which goes much deeper than their fears. Jesus asked, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In Luke's account, the question of Jesus is much shorter and direct. Where is your faith? And that's really an important question that we too have to reckon with, isn't it? Where is your faith? Where do you place your trust? To whom do you place your trust? Is it in yourself? Is it in the way you live? Perhaps as Americans, it's very hard to give up our autonomous mindset, isn't it? Right? It's it's my way on the highway attitude. But Jesus reveals this reality in Matthew 7 that many enter the broad and wide way that leads to destruction but only if you enter the narrow way that leads to life, and and who is life, right? Who is the way? Who is this person that even the wind and the sea obey? And the right answer to the test is always Jesus, isn't it, right? If you don't know the answer, just put Jesus, because the reality, beloved, that Jesus didn't come into our dark, sin cursed world just to give us a few lectures or just to showcase his power and then become the most popular figure in history just to be on the front uh, cover of Time magazine or to be some kind of front man for some political agenda. No. He, He came to fulfill his rescue mission for us. And his mission was planned out even before the foundation of the world. And so that finally in this passage you can realize the third point that Jesus is your faithful savior. Jesus is your faithful savior. Your only comfort in life and in death. And that's why it's important for us to realize earlier that we need a powerful God man. That nothing can overcome him. Not even the wind and the sea can disobey him. Because listen, if Jesus isn't infinitely powerful, then he cannot be your faithful savior. If he cannot be your faithful savior, then you and I and everyone else remains hopeless. Hopeless in our sin to pay our penalty. The full death of our sin by God's justice who must punish us eternally, body and soul. And so that's why Jesus, our powerful God, willingly came. Not only to demonstrate his lordship through miracles, but I mean that's easy for him. He's been doing that for a very long time. But he came to fulfill the mission above all missions, the real mission impossible in order to rescue us. And that is to faithfully subject himself to be human, right? To be human in every way like us, with all its limitations, hunger and pain and fatigue and temptation, yet without ever committing sin And because he is also God, he is able to subject himself under the law to perfectly obey every commandment that you and I broke. And that's why, as a perfect God-man, without any record of sin, he is the only one qualified to die and to be our substitute on the cross. He is the only perfect lamb, the only suffering servant throughout his life in which Jesus says, the Son of Man came Not to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, so that on the third day he would rise again. And so even though Jesus saved the disciples from drowning, he himself drowned for us on the cross, bearing the tsunami weight of God's wrath so that all our sin and all our law-breaking is punished in him while transferring to us his perfect righteousness, As if we had never sinned and as if we had never been a sinner. Because death has no power over Jesus. By his resurrection, you too will be resurrected. And that's if you receive him by faith alone. That's if you trust him. That's if you receive him by faith alone and not in yourselves and not in any other thing. And so, beloved, in closing, may you remember that by his death, resurrection and ascension by his spirit, you can live a life of peace now. You can live a life of joy now with with patience and with faithfulness and obedience, that even though we must persevere in this life and continue to share in the sufferings of Christ until he returns, you are not alone. You are not alone because he is with you. And he is with you in any storm because the same Jesus who demonstrated his power in the sea storm is the same Jesus who has power over your sin, over sickness, and even death to relieve your doubts, to bring you to daily repentance with assurance of his forgiveness and eternal life. That no matter what comes your way, even death in this life, you have the hope of resurrection. You have the hope of assurance and you have the hope to persevere until we see christ in glory but until then beloved may you trust in him because jesus is able to rescue amen amen let us pray father we know that without the saving grace of your son we are hopeless without him we would remain in doubt without him we would remain in fear and in darkness and so we thank you that in the fullness of time you sent your Son who has spoken his word and accomplished what we could never do on the cross. We pray now by your Spirit to continue to guide us, to help us, to, underst- to help us understand your truth, and to help walk in your ways that pleases you. Be with us and grant us grace in our time of trouble. We bless your name and give you all the glory and honor, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.